everyone. I'm Janine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Melissa Reiner. She's considered by leading pediatric neurologists and developmental pediatricians as one of the top behavioral and autism consultants in California. Melissa has expertise in working with those diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and she's often retained as Hollywood's autism expert and credited as the autism consultant for the television show The Good Doctor, airing on ABC. She's the author of several books and a frequent speaker on expert panels at corporate events, seminars, and academic institutions. If you want to find out more about Melissa's other books, you can visit www.askmelissanow.com. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Melissa Reiner. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Thank you for calling in. I know you're busy. You've constantly uh, got a lot of stuff going on, and we'll get into that. Uh, tell me, how did you get into what you're doing now with autistic kids? Yeah, I um, sort of fell into the work. I um, have a, a niece who has some, she's a rare disorder um, that not very many people in the world have. And her mom, who is one of the most amazing women I've ever met, she decided to start like a summer camp for kids. So it wasn't always about therapy, but about friendship and relationship and fun. And she said, do you want to help me out for the summer? And I said, many, many years ago. And I said, sure. And then, said, you know, I think I might start a business where we have one-on-one therapy. Would you like to come on board? And it turned out I, I sort of had a knack. Um, in particular for working with children um, with back then it was a diagnosis but an Asperger's diagnosis with autism and mm-hmm. then became certified in something called relationship development intervention. Yeah, I read that. What is that? It's a pretty incredible methodology that is um, you know, like just a complete departure from what are typically more widely accepted um, methodologies that are used often today, but it is fascinating work where it's first uh, family-centric, okay. and it really, it really, I used, you know, I used to work in a school environment, and so three, five, seven hours a day, great, but then the child would go home, and unless everyone's on board, uh, it really is not a great way to set a family and a child up for success. Absolutely. Yeah, so... When we start having everyone collaborate toward that goal of success, then that's where we see I graduate families left, right, and center. And so it's a bad business model, but it's a great feeling <laughs> to no longer be needed. And that's when I, I start off saying, I just want you guys to get rid of me as soon as possible. I like that. Um, yeah, so it, it involves everyone, and, and if both parents or, or a single parent. Um, is really connected in a way that also is being supported at school. That's just how we see the best results. Do you have a an opinion, you probably obviously do, about why we're seeing so much autism? Yeah, I think there are several, several factors. And one is I think the diagnosis was broadened. So where 50 years ago it was near to impossible to walk away with a diagnosis, um, there are some... Some facilities today that do assessments for it's hard for you to walk out of there without a diagnosis. So now as the spectrum has sort of been revealed, there there's a much obviously broader scope of acceptance in all the gradations. So where I think 
we see someone. I work with kids who people say, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" Really? Yeah, they're so verbal and they're so because the, the definition I think was someone. It was it was a pretty static definition and it was a pretty severe uh, case mm-hmm. of you know someone who was banging their head against the wall or someone who who was a practic or someone who had you know no emotional life and all of these sort of broad strokes were accompanying the diagnosis. But now, I mean, I work, I have 50 kids with a diagnosis of ASD and they are 50 unique individuals. And I work with a, a boy who he's, he's 11 years old and he is so loving towards his family and affectionate. Mm. And you wouldn't, that's typically not a trait that you see as being prevalent. And so, but yet he has a diagnosis because of other issues. So when things are more subtle, I think a lot of those kids were slipping through the cracks. Yes. Uh, because they looked like they were attending, and perhaps they were very bright, and so they didn't have friends, or so they were socially awkward, right. or so they weren't, or they weren't connecting with their family on an emotional. But they were they had good grades, and so I just think things have have shifted, and. You know, people always ask me about vaccines. Yes. Um, you know, I think that there used to be less vaccines mm-hmm. by magnitude. And um, I think now they've doubled, tripled. I know someone who had seven vaccines in one. And you're, wow. you're, yeah. And, and that's a pharmaceutically led, you know, um, initiative. Yes. And it's not with the child's well-being you know, in the forefront. And I think that if you're taxing your system, look, with, with, God forbid, with cancer, you know, you could have pretty much every precursor except for one and never get cancer. Interesting. And I, I think it's the same kind of thing. There's mm-hmm. a, you could have every precursor, and if something tips the scale, yes. if something makes it so that you are, you know, seizing, right. which happens, you know, or you've just overload, you've become overwhelmed, you're, you're immune to anything, has been too taxed, it may, may tip the scale. Um, well, I and, know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, they're just sometimes, and sometimes I'll meet families, and I mean this, you know, with every ounce of respect, and, and but I, you know, I'll have a, a husband and a wife, and to me, I'll see maybe perhaps the dad, for example, maybe is undiagnosed mm-hmm. and the mom there was a specific case and she said you know my son he's just like his dad I said I know <laughs> <laughs> I know they're just alike yeah. and so That's you know and so there are hereditary issues too oh of course Mm-hmm. I know there was a, so much controversy when Jenny McCarthy spoke out about uh, vaccinations, and then some yeah. people said, well, it's not the vaccinations. But to me, you're putting all this stuff in your body, um, and the pharmaceutical companies are not going to think about what it's going to do to the kid's body. They're thinking mm-hmm. about a different agenda. Yeah, I do vaccinate, but I do it very slowly. Um, yeah. I, have, I've, I was actually fired from my pediatrician's office <laughs> because we weren't. Um, moving as quickly as they would have liked. Yes. Um, so if I vaccinate once a year, you know, and that means we may sort of phase out of some, which I'm perfectly fine with, or uh, some no longer are necessary. And I always get sort of a wagged finger, mm-hmm. but I expect I'll take that any day. But I go slowly, but I do, I do think, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I think that there's a balance. And I think right. it's just become so, people are shamed 
and and if, and I think that, like you said, the pharmaceuticals do yes. not necessarily yes. children. Well-being. well, you're talking to somebody that doesn't vaccinate against the flu or HPV. I, I don't do I don't either. We, don't, no. we do a homeopathic uh, influenza nine, by the way, by Boyron, mm-hmm. and I have nothing to do with the company. It's amazing. It has been our flu vaccine for years. Okay, what's like it for, what's it called? It's influenza nine. So and it's yeah, by Boyron. It's homeopathic, and we say, um, I'm telling you, it's amazing. <laughs> And um, you try to get the new one for each year if you can because each strain is different. But yeah. it is like the and I've heard this. I'm not the only person. The worst flu I ever got was the one year I had a vaccination. This was 20 years ago. Oh yes. You know I had it right. And oh yes. Worst flu. Yeah. And but we do that. My kids do it. And sometimes we still get a strain. Yes. Of something. But I, I again I always feel like it strengthens our immunity. And I'm not afraid to have a cold or a flu. But I agree. Yeah. But I, I, the influenza, you take um, five pills under your tongue, like I think it's three or four Mondays, in, or we just do Mondays, <laughs> three or four, um, <laughs> one day a week. What if it's a Tuesday? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fine too, that's fine. And then you take a three-week break, and then you do a booster for one week. Okay. It's amazing, by the way. Yeah. And I don't have anything, I don't get anything, any, I don't get kickbacks from Boyron, but that's a great product. That's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, were you always interested in this field, or was this something that evolved over time? Uh, it absolutely evolved. When I, like I said, when I fell into it, I was in, I was teaching, so I was working with children. Um, but at the time, I had three kids of my own. But at the time, I didn't have kids of my own, and I had no, and I didn't think teaching in a classroom environment was going to be my thing. I didn't think it was going to be where I, you know, wound up um, ultimately. But I. It just when when I started working in this field, I became enthralled and and and, and smitten. And I just I love it. That's I love great. what I do. Love it. The, so the name of my show, Melissa, is Get the Funk Out. Love it. Thank you. I was going to ask you. I love hearing people's opinions. Like, how do you stay positive when something personal, professional comes along, and it just you know blindsides you, and you, you find yourself in this funk? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself to pull yourself out of it? Yeah, um, I think that, I, and I'm not a Pollyanna, mm-hmm. really not, but I believe that even things that feel terrible or seem like they weren't what you had anticipated and wanted them to be, I think that I do believe they're for a reason. And if it's to strengthen your resolve to try again, or if it's to help you build resilience to move on, or if it's to... Uh, avoid what was and move towards something else and new and different. Yes. Um, so things that often feel uh, like we can't even recover from them are, are often the moments, I think, of triumph where we rise up and and overcome. And so I'm I not and in the same breath, I think that sometimes we have to sit with the sadness. Oh, yes. And I think we live in a day and age where we don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. We want everyone to be happy. And everyone is in pursuit of happiness, which I think is elusive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to sit with whatever you're feeling, whenever you're feeling it. I, I have moms saying, you know, I've, I've been to three funerals in the past three months, and I don't know why I'm so sad. And it's like, gee. Come on. <laughs> let yourself be sad. Yeah. There are t- terrible things that happen in the world. and inexcusable, unconscionable act, but 
how, you know, the number one factor for success in life is resilience. So how can we recover? How do we repair? How do we return back to our families, ourselves, right. our lives? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things I try to teach my kids is it's okay to be sad, but mm-hmm. you also have to learn that life is filled with all kinds of crazy ups and downs, and we we have to get through that pain, through that tough time to learn, yeah. to get stronger, to ha- be resilient, to build grit, um, and we learn yeah. from those moments. But you also have to learn how to be resilient because if you let everything you know, um, bombard you, bombard you, you, you need to learn coping mechanisms, yeah. how to take care of yourself because it'll carry you through adulthood. Yeah. There's one family I'm working with. The mom is an amazing woman who is a two time breast cancer survivor. Wow. And not just once, but twice. And she lives with a lot of anxiety and she said that she fears the sort of day to day little glitches. Mm-hmm. And I said, but look at, if you could rest assured in knowing how you have survived, how you have prevailed, and you only did it only by sheer will of putting one foot in front of the other each day. Right. Let's do the same with the small stuff, because I think when there's such a big trauma like that, sometimes the small stuff can feel like suddenly you're afraid of your own shadow instead of death, you know? Yes. And and so, but, but if we can hang on to how... I don't think she knows how strong she is. Right. And if if we have that image in our head of knowing we prevail, what if we know every little glitch is going to end in the same outcome of prevailing? Mm -hmm. You know, what if we could rest in that? That would be a really amazing place. Well, I I understand and I agree. And I think what's happening is we we don't think in the positive. We think in the, I'm going to fail Things yeah. aren't going to go well. I'm going to go out and not have a good time. I'm going to look a certain way, and it's all going to be negative, as opposed to I'm going to go out and enjoy myself, or something great is going to happen. Yeah, and I, I feel I feel stressed just like everyone else, and I feel concerned about things that are upcoming, or you know, any kind of stressor affects everyone. Yeah. But like you said, how do we still keep putting one from the other? How do we keep keep focus on the fact that it it's going to end well it's going to go well yeah uh, you know i think that's a really important lesson to teach our kids because they don't realize as, as adults we feel sometimes the same way they do like i'm the first to tell mm-hmm. my daughter you know what i'm kind of afraid of the dark yeah. i am afraid of the dark that just never has gone right. away and i'm going right. to just tell you i'm afraid of the dark or yes i go out and think oh I don't really want to go. I dread something, but then I go and I have an amazing time. Like they need to understand, like you're not perfect, and you yeah. you can you can understand what it feels like to be in their shoes. You've been there. Yeah, I think I and that's what, and it's funny because that same woman that I was just talking about, her son had some social anxiety. Mm-hmm. I said, wouldn't that be amazing if you could share with him when you feel anxious and how you overcome them? Yeah, and that way he can watch you model for him how you. Face it head on and overcome it. That's the greatest gift you can give a child. So I have this theory, which is probably not going to be a shocker to you, that one of the biggest reasons kids have so much anxiety today is because of basically the phone in the palm of their hand. I mean, 
that causes so many issues, whether they're checking to see if people have liked their photos or people have said, oh, your hair, what happened? Or or maybe they're finding out this horrendous news on their phone and yeah, seeing graphic images. Yeah. It's, it's a real problem. I think, you know, I think people need to take a break sometimes from being on their phones. Absolutely. I mean, you know? I think that there are a lot of reasons why anxiety is so so insurmountably prevalent right now right um but that i think that is absolutely a factor because maybe somebody once said i didn't think this stuff but somebody said you know when you would go to school on monday and someone maybe talked about or you overheard someone saying there was a pool party on sunday that you weren't invited to you might hear about it but now you're seeing video footage of yes. everyone laughing and splashing and hanging out and eating cake and whatever yes and and that is a vastly different experience to have to overcome right exactly so i i know we have to wrap up soon but uh how did you land on the good doctor well i um was working with a family who um ended up working on the show and many years later but they referred me to uh, to David Shores. He was in the nascent stages of of writing the pilot episode, and um, he wanted some more information from an autism expert about autism. And the methodology I use is so unique, um, where we shift our communication style, and some of the episodes reflect, in my work with the writers and the producers, um, uh, this shifting communication style, there was an episode where she realizes, she says, you know, he won't answer me. And she says, when I ask questions, you don't, Claire, the woman who plays Claire, mm-hmm. says, um, you, won't, you won't answer me when I ask questions, something along those lines. And, and we have found in this methodology that I work with, and my website is askmelissanow.com, but what happens is when most adults, Every adult that I know, parents, teachers, we talk to students, we talk to children, we talk to individuals, typically using imperatives and interrogatives. And when we give commands and ask questions, we see that the recipient might have a slight or to varying degrees or severe, uh, a a response that is a spike in heart rate and blood pressure, which is tantamount to an anxiety response. Okay. When we speak declaratively, we don't see that. It's processed more deeply in the brain. So instead of saying to our child, let's say, um, at school, go get your pencil, or at home, clear your plate. Why haven't you taken your plate to the sink? Mm-hmm. Instead, I'll just say, I see that your plate is still on the table. And it's processed without that spike in heart rate and blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And then you, it's like, it was like jaw-dropping, miraculous sometimes, the response is, that child then goes and picks up their plate, waiting for the sink, not because you told them to. Right. Because you can have a compliant child or a defiant child who can accept or reject your, your input. But, but it's amazing when you're asking another individual to apprentice your brain. Yes. So in the show, when they talk, you know, she was, she was sort of, he was being bombarded. Dr. Schumberg was being bombarded with the question. And he was non-responsive. Some individuals, they become explosive in the, wow. in the face of the same, right? Yes. But he became non-responsive, which is also common, shut down. And then when she said, you know, I just, you, you asked for an echocardiogram and I don't know why. And they, the writers wrote that because we talked about this methodology that I employ. That is so interesting. It's amazing. Yeah, that is really amazing. 
Yeah, so I'm fortunate enough to work with the writers, and I, I oversee every script and review it and give my input. I'm in an advisory role. It's really amazing. Amazing. So where yeah. can people find out more about you, Melissa? AskMelissaNow.com is my website, and um, it's a great place full of resources, and uh, that's where people can reach me as well. And also your website, BridgingPathways.com? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. Any, so, a, anything else you'd like the listeners to know about you? I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you, and I'm, I'm, I, it's a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Melissa, and I really appreciated you taking the time to call in. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of this, it will be up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And if you want to follow the show, I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock.